0: Section 8 of The Rover. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Theoden Humphrey. The Rover by Joseph Conrad. Chapter 8. Perched sideways on the circular wall bordering the well, in the full blaze of the midday sun, The rover of the distant seas and the fisherman of the lagoon, sharing between them a most surprising secret, had the air of two men conferring in the dark. The first word that Payroll said was, Well? All quiet, said the other. Have you fastened the cabin door properly? You know what the fastenings are like. Payroll could not deny that. It was a sufficient answer. It shifted the responsibility onto his shoulders, and all his life he had been accustomed to trust to the work of his own hands, in peace and in war. Yet he looked doubtfully at Michel before he remarked, Yes, but I know the man, too. There could be no greater contrast than those two faces, payrolls clean, like a carving of stone, and only very little softened by time, and that of the owner of the late dog, suit with many silver threads, with something elusive in the features and the vagueness of expression of a baby in arms. Yes, I know the man, repeated Payroll. Michel's mouth fell open at this, a small oval set a little crookedly in the innocent face. He will never wake, he suggested timidly. The possession of a common and momentous secret draws men together, payroll condescended to explain you don't know the thickness of his skull i do he spoke as though he had made it himself Michel, who in the face of that positive statement had forgotten to shut his mouth had nothing to say he breathes all right asked payroll yes after i got out and locked the door i listened for a bit and i thought i heard him snore payroll looked interested and also slightly anxious. "'I had to come up and show myself this morning as if nothing had happened,' he said. "'The officer has been here for two days, and he might have taken it into his head to go down to the Tartan. I have been on the stretch all the morning. A goat jumping up was enough to give me a turn. Fancy him running up here with his broken head all bandaged up, with you after him!' This seemed to be too much for Michel." "'he said almost indignantly, "'the man's half-killed. "'It takes a lot to even half-kill "'a brother of the coast. "'There are men and men. "'You, for instance,' "'Pyrrol continued placidly, "'you would have been altogether killed "'if it had been your head that got in the way. "'And there are animals, beasts twice your size, "'regular monsters, "'that may be killed with nothing more "'than just a tap on the nose. "'That's well known.' "'I was really afraid he would overcome you in some way or other.' "'Come, maître, one isn't a little child!' protested Michel against this accumulation of improbabilities. He did it, however, only in a whisper, and with childlike shyness. Pérol folded his arms on his breast. "'Go, finish your soup,' he commanded in a low voice, "'and then go down to the tartan. "'You locked the cabin door properly,' you said?' ''Yes, I have,'' protested Michel, staggered by this display of anxiety. ''He could sooner burst the deck above his head, as you know.'' ''All the same, take a small spar and shore up that door against the heel of the mast, and then watch outside. Don't you go into him on any account. Stay on deck and keep a lookout for me. There is a tangle here that won't be easily cleared, and I must be very careful.'' I will try to slip away and get down as soon as I get rid of that officer. The conference in the sunshine being ended, Perrault walked leisurely out of the yard gate, and protruding his head beyond the corner of the house, saw Lieutenant Réal sitting on the bench. This he had expected to see. But he had not expected to see him there alone. It was just like this. Wherever Arlette happened to be, there were worrying possibilities but she might have been helping her aunt in the kitchen with her sleeves rolled up on such white arms as Perrault had never seen on any woman before. The way she had taken to dressing her hair in a plate with a broad black velvet ribbon and an Arlésian cap was very becoming. She was wearing now her mother's clothes, of which there were chestfuls, altered for her, of course. The late mistress of the Escampobar farm had been in Arlésian. Well to do, too. Yes, even for women's clothes, the Escampabar natives could do without intercourse with the outer world. It was quite time that this confounded lieutenant went back to Toulon. This was the third day. His short leave must be up. Perrault's attitude towards naval officers had been always guarded and suspicious. His relations with them had been very mixed. They had been his enemies and his superiors. He had been chased by them. He had been trusted by them. The revolution had made a clean cut across the consistency of his wild life, brother of the coast and gunner in the National Navy, and yet he was always the same man. It was like that, too, with them. Officers of the king, officers of the republic, it was only changing the skin. All alike looked askance at a free rover. Even this one could not forget his epaulettes when talking to him. Scorn and mistrust of epaulettes were rooted deeply in old Peyrol. Yet he did not absolutely hate Lieutenant Real. Only the fellow's coming to the farm was generally a curse, and his presence at that particular moment a confounded nuisance, and to a certain extent even a danger. I have no mind to be hauled to Toulon by the scruff of my neck, Peyrol said to himself. There was no trusting those epaulette wearers. Any one of them was capable of jumping on his best friend on account of some officer-like notion or other. Payroll, stepping around the corner, sat down by the side of Lieutenant Real, with the feeling somehow of coming to grips with a slippery customer. The lieutenant, as he sat there, unaware of Payroll's survey of his person, gave no notion of slipperiness. On the contrary, he looked rather immovably established. Very much at home. Too much at home. Even after Pérol sat down by his side, he continued to look immovable, or at least difficult to get rid of. In the still noonday heat, the faint shrilling of cicadas was the only sound of life heard for quite a long time. Delicate, evanescent, cheerful, careless sort of life, yet not without passion. A sudden gloom seemed to be cast over the joy of the cicadas by the lieutenant's voice, though the words were the most perfunctory possible. Tiens, vous voilà. In the stress of the situation, Perl at once asked himself, Now why does he say that? Where did he expect me to be? The lieutenant need not have spoken at all. He had known him now for about two years off and on, and it had happened many times that they had sat side by side on that bench in a sort of at-arms-length equality without exchanging a single word. And why could he not have kept quiet now? That naval officer never spoke without an object. But what could one make of words like that? Perrault achieved an insincere yawn and suggested mildly, "'A bit of siesta wouldn't be amiss. "'What do you think, lieutenant?' "'And to himself he thought, "'No fear, he won't go to his room. "'He would stay there and thereby keep him, "'Pirol, from going down to the cove. "'He turned his eyes on that naval officer, "'and if extreme and concentrated desire "'and mere force of will could have had any effect, "'Lieutenant Real would certainly have been removed "'suddenly from that bench.' but he didn't move. And Perrault was astonished to see that man smile. But what astonished him still more was to hear him say, "'The trouble is that you have never been frank with me, Perrault.' "'Frank with you,' repeated the rover. "'You want me to be frank with you?' "'Well, I have wished you to the devil many times.' "'That's better,' said Lieutenant Real. "'But why? I never tried to do you any harm.' "'Me harm?' cried Payroll. "'To me?' But he faltered in his indignation, as if frightened at it, and ended in a very quiet tone. "'You have been nosing in a lot of dirty papers "'to find something against a man who was not doing you any harm "'and was a seaman before you were born. "'Quite a mistake. "'There was no nosing amongst papers. "'I came on them quite by accident.' "'I won't deny I was intrigue, finding a man of your sort living in this place. "'But don't be uneasy. Nobody would trouble his head about you. "'It's a long time since you have been forgotten. Have no fear.' "'Phew! You, you talk to me of fear? No!' cried the rover. "'It's enough to turn a fellow into a saint "'if it wasn't for the sight of that specimen sneaking around here.' "'The lieutenant turned his head sharply.' and for a moment the naval officer and the Free Sea Rover looked at each other gloomily. When Payroll spoke again, he had changed his mood. Why should I fear anybody? I owe nothing to anybody. I have given them up the prize ship in order and everything else except my luck, and for that I account to nobody, he added darkly. I don't know what you were driving at, the lieutenant said after a moment of thought. "'All I know is that you seem to have given up "'your share of the prize money. "'There is no record of you ever claiming it.' "'Payroll did not like the sarcastic tone. "'You have a nasty tongue,' he said, "'with your damned trick of talking "'as if you were made of different clay.' "'No offense," said the lieutenant, "'grave but a little puzzled. "'Nobody will drag out that against you. "'It has been paid years ago to the Invalides Fund.' All this is buried and forgotten. Perroll was grumbling and swearing to himself with such concentration that the lieutenant stopped and waited till he had finished. And there is no record of desertion or anything like that, he continued then. You stand there as disparu. I believe that after searching for you a little, they came to the conclusion that you had come by your death somehow or other. Did they? Well... Perhaps old Peyrol is dead. At any rate, he has buried himself here. The rover suffered from great instability of feelings, for he passed in a flash from melancholy into fierceness. And he was quiet enough till you came sniffing around this hole. More than once in my life I had occasion to wonder how soon the jackals would have a chance to dig up my carcass. But to have a naval officer come scratching round here was the last thing. Again a change came over him. What can you want here, he whispered, suddenly depressed. The lieutenant fell into the humor of that discourse. I don't want to disturb the dead, he said, turning full to the rover, who, after his last words, had fixed his eyes on the ground. I want to talk to the gunner, Payroll. Payroll, without raising his eyes from the ground, growled. He isn't there. He is disparu. Go and look at the papers again. Vanished. Nobody here. That, said Lieutenant Rayal, in a conversational tone, that is a lie. He was talking to me this morning on the hillside as we were looking at the English ship. He knows all about her. He told me he spent nights making plans for her capture. He seemed to be a fellow with his heart in the right place, un de coeur. You know him. Payroll raised his big head slowly and looked at the lieutenant. Humph! he grunted. A heavy, non-committal grunt. His old heart was stirred, but the tangle was such that he had to be on his guard with any man who wore epaulettes. His profile preserved the immobility of a head struck on a medal, while he listened to the lieutenant assuring him that this time he had come to Escampabar on purpose to speak with the gunner Payroll. That he had not done so before was because it was a very confidential matter. At this point, the lieutenant stopped, and payroll made no sign. Inwardly, he was asking himself what the lieutenant was driving at. But the lieutenant seemed to have shifted his ground. His tone, too, was slightly different, more practical. You say you have made a study of that English ship's movements. Well, for instance, suppose a breeze springs up. "'as it very likely will towards the evening. "'Could you tell me where she will be tonight? "'I mean, what her captain is likely to do?' "'No, I couldn't,' said Payroll. "'But you said you have been observing him minutely for weeks. "'There aren't so many alternatives, "'and taking the weather and everything into consideration, "'you can judge almost with certainty.' "'No,' said Payroll again. "'It so happens that I can't. "'Can't you?' THEN YOU ARE WORSE THAN ANY OF THE OLD ADMIRALS THAT YOU THINK SO LITTLE OF. WHY CAN'T YOU? I WILL TELL YOU WHY, SAID PEROL AFTER A PAUSE, AND WITH A FACE MORE LIKE A CARVING THAN EVER. IT'S BECAUSE THE FELLOW HAS NEVER COME SO FAR THIS WAY BEFORE. THEREFORE, I DON'T KNOW WHAT HE HAS GOT IN HIS MIND, AND IN CONSEQUENCE, I CAN'T GUESS WHAT HE WILL DO NEXT. I MAY BE ABLE TO TELL YOU SOME OTHER DAY, BUT NOT TODAY. "'Next time when you come to see the old gunner. "'No, it must be this time. "'Do you mean you are going to stay here tonight? "'Did you think I was here on leave? "'I tell you I am on service. "'Don't you believe me?' "'Payroll let out a heavy sigh. "'Yes, I believe you. "'And so they are thinking of catching her alive. "'And you are sent on service.' Well, that doesn't make it any easier for me to see you here. You are a strange man, Payroll, said the lieutenant. I believe you wish me dead. No, only out of this. But you are right. Payroll is no friend, either to your face or to your voice. They have done harm enough already. They had never attained to such intimate terms before. There was no need for them to look at each other. The lieutenant thought, ah, he can't keep his jealousy in. There was no scorn or malice in that thought. It was much more like despair. He said mildly, you snarl like an old dog, payroll. I have felt sometimes as if I could fly at your throat, said payroll in a sort of calm whisper, and it amuses you the more. Amuses me? Do I look light-hearted? Again, Perroll turned his head slowly for a long, steady stare. And again, the naval officer and the rover gazed at each other with a searching and somber frankness. This new-born intimacy could go no further. Listen to me, Payroll. No, said the other. If you want to talk, talk to the gunner. Though he seemed to have adopted the notion of a double personality, the rover did not seem to be much easier in one character than in the other. Furrows of perplexity appeared on his brow, and as the lieutenant did not speak at once, Payroll the gunner asked impatiently, "'So they are thinking of catching her alive?' It did not please him to hear the lieutenant say that it was not exactly this that the chiefs in Toulon had in their minds." Pirol at once expressed the opinion that of all the naval chiefs that ever were, Citizen Renault was the only one that was worth anything. Lieutenant Réal, disregarding the challenging tone, kept to the point. What they want to know is whether that English corvette interferes much with the coast traffic. No, she doesn't, said Pirol. She leaves poor people alone unless, I suppose, some craft acts suspiciously. "'I have seen her give chase to one or two. "'But even those she did not detain. "'Michel, you know Michel, "'has heard from the mainland people "'that she has captured several at various times. "'Of course, strictly speaking, nobody is safe.' "'Well, no. "'I wonder now what that Englishman would call "'acting suspiciously.' "'Ah, now you are asking something. "'Don't you know what an Englishman is?' One day, easy and casual, next day ready to pounce on you like a tiger. Hard in the morning, careless in the afternoon, and only reliable in a fight, whether with or against you, but for the rest, perfectly fantastic. You might think a little touched in the head, and there again it would not do to trust to that notion either. The lieutenant lending an attentive ear, Perol smoothed his brow, and discoursed with gusto of Englishmen as if they had been a strange, very little-known tribe. "'In a manner of speaking,' he concluded, "'the oldest bird of them all can be caught with chaff, but not every day.' He shook his head, smiling to himself faintly, as if remembering a quaint passage or two. "'You didn't get all that knowledge of the English while you were a gunner,' observed the lieutenant dryly. "'There you go again,' said Payroll. "'And what's that to you where I learned it all? "'Suppose I learned it all from a man who is dead now. "'Put it down to that.' "'I see. "'It amounts to this, "'that one can't get at the back of their minds very easily.' "'No,' said Payroll, then added grumpily, "'and some Frenchmen are not much better. "'I wish I could get at the back of your mind.' "'You would find a service matter there, Gunner.' That's what you would find there, and a matter that seems nothing much at first sight, but when you look into it's about as difficult to manage properly as anything you ever undertook in your life. It puzzled all the bigwigs. It must have, since I was called in. Of course, I work on shore at the Admiralty, and I was in the way. They showed me the order from Paris, and I could see at once the difficulty of it. I pointed it out, and I was told... To come here, struck in Payroll. No, to make arrangements to carry it out. And you began by coming here? You are always coming here. I began by looking for a man, said the naval officer with emphasis. Payroll looked at him searchingly. Do you mean to say that in the whole fleet you couldn't have found a man? I never attempted to look for one there. My chief agreed with me that it isn't a service for Navy men. Ah, oh, must be something nasty for a naval man to admit that much. What is the order? I don't suppose you came over here without being ready to show it to me. The lieutenant plunged his hand into the inside pocket of his naval jacket and then brought it out empty. Understand, Payroll, he said earnestly. This is not a service of fighting. Good men are plentiful for that. The object is to play the enemy a trick. Trick? said Payroll in a judicial tone. That's all right. I have seen in the Indian seas Monsieur Surcouf play tricks on the English. Seen them with my own eyes, deceptions, disguises, and such like. That's quite sound in war. Certainly. The order for this one comes from the First Consul himself, for it is no small matter. It's to deceive the English Admiral. What? That Nelson? Ah, but he is a cunning one. After expressing that opinion, the old rover pulled out a red bandana handkerchief, and after rubbing his face with it, repeated his opinion deliberately. Saluda, et un malin. This time, the lieutenant really brought out a paper from his pocket, and saying, I have copied the order for you to see handed it to the rover, who took it from him with a doubtful air. Lieutenant Real watched old Payroll handling it at arm's length, then with his arm bent, trying to adjust the distance to his eyesight, and wondered whether he had copied it in a hand big enough to be read easily by the gunner Payroll. The order ran like this. You will make up a packet of dispatches and pretended private letters as if from officers, containing a clear statement besides hints calculated to convince the enemy that the destination of the fleet now fitting in Toulon is for Egypt and generally for the east. That packet you will send by sea in some small craft to Naples, taking care that the vessel should fall into the enemy's hands. The Préfet Maritime had called it Real, had shown him the paragraph of the letter from Paris, had turned the page over and laid his finger on the signature, Bonaparte. Then, after giving him a meaning glance, the Admiral locked up the paper in a drawer and put the key in his pocket. Lieutenant Real had written the passage down from memory directly the notion of consulting Pierrot had occurred to him. The rover, screwing his eyes and pursing his lips, had come to the end of it. The lieutenant extended his hand negligently and took the paper away. "'Well, what do you think?' he asked. "'You understand that there can be no question of any ship of war being sacrificed to that dodge. What do you think of it?' "'Easier said than done,' opined Payroll curtly. "'That's what I told my admiral.' "'Is he a lubber so that you had to explain it to him?' "'No, Gunner, he is not.' He listened to me, nodding his head." And what did he say when you finished? He said, parfaitement. have you got any ideas about it? And I said, listen to me, Gunner. I said, oui, mon I think I've got a man. And the admiral interrupted me at once. All right, you don't want to talk to me about him. I put you in charge of that affair and give you a week to arrange it. When it's done, report to me. Meantime, you may just as well take this packet." They were already prepared, Payroll, all those faked letters and dispatches. I carried it out of the Admiral's room. A parcel, done up in sailcloth, properly corded and sealed. I have had it in my possession for three days. It's upstairs in my valise. That doesn't advance you very much, growled old Payroll. No, admitted the Lieutenant. I can also dispose of a few thousand francs. Francs, repeated Payroll. Well... You had better get back to Toulon and try to bribe some man to put his head into the jaws of the English lion. Rael reflected, then said slowly, I wouldn't tell any man that. Of course, a service of danger, that would be understood. It would be. And if you could get a fellow with some sense in his caboche, he would naturally try to slip past the English fleet and maybe do it, too. And then where's your trick? We could give him a course to steer. Yes, and it may happen that your course would just take him clear of all Nelson's fleet, for you can never tell, for you never can tell what the English are doing. They might be watering in Sardinia. Some cruisers are sure to be out and pick him up. Maybe, but that's not doing the job, that's taking a chance. Do you think you are talking to a toothless baby or what? No, my gunner. It will take a strong man's teeth to undo that knot. A moment of silence followed. Then Payroll assumed a dogmatic tone. I will tell you what it is, Lieutenant. This seems to me just the sort of order that a landlubber would give to good seamen. You daren't deny that. I don't deny it, the Lieutenant admitted. And look at the whole difficulty for supposing even that the Tartan blunders right into the English fleet, as if it had been indeed arranged. They would just look into her hold or perhaps poke their noses here and there, but it would never occur to them to search for dispatches, would it? Our man, of course, would have them well hidden, wouldn't he? He is not to know. And if he were ass enough to leave them lying about the decks, the English would at once smell a rat there. But what I think he would do would be to throw the dispatches overboard. "'Yes, unless he is told the nature of the job,' said Payroll. "'Evidently. "'But where is the bribe big enough to induce a man to taste of the English pontoons?' "'The man will take the bribe, all right, and then will do his best not to be caught, "'and if he can't avoid that, he will take jolly good care "'that the English should find nothing on board his tartan.' "'Oh, no, lieutenant. "'Any damn scallywag that owns a tartan We'll take a couple of thousand francs from your hand, as tame as can be. But as to deceiving the English admiral, it's the very devil of an affair. Didn't you think of all that before you spoke to the big epaulettes that gave you the job? I did see it, and I put it all before him, the lieutenant said, lowering his voice still more. "'for their conversation had been carried on in undertones, "'though the house behind them was silent "'and solitude reigned round the approaches of Scampabar Farm. "'It was the hour of siesta for those that could sleep. "'The lieutenant, edging closer towards the old man, "'almost breathed the words in his ear. "'What I wanted was to hear you say all those things. "'Do you understand now what I meant this morning on the lookout?' Don't you remember what I said? Pérol, gazing into space, spoke in a level murmur. I remember a naval officer trying to shake old Pérol off his feet and not managing to do it. I may be disparu, but I am too solid yet for any Blancbeck that loses his temper. Devil only knows why. And it's a good thing that you didn't manage it, else I would have taken you down with me and we would have made our last somersault together for the amusement of an English ship's company. A pretty end, that. Don't you remember me saying, when you mentioned that the English would have sent a boat to go through our pockets, that this would have been the perfect way? In his stony immobility, with the other man leaning towards his ear, Perol seemed a mere insensible receptacle for whispers, and the lieutenant went on forcibly. "'Well, it was in allusion to this affair, "'for look here, Gunner, what could be more convincing "'if they had found the packet of dispatches on me? "'What would have been their surprise, their wonder? "'Not the slightest doubt could enter their heads. "'Could it, Gunner? "'Of course it couldn't. "'I can imagine the captain of that corvette "'crowding sail on her to get this packet into the Admiral's hands, "'the secret of the Toulon fleet's destination "'found on the body of a dead officer.' wouldn't they have exulted at their enormous piece of luck? But they wouldn't have called it accidental. Oh, no. They would have called it providential. I know the English a little, too. They like to have God on their side, the only ally they never need pay a subsidy to. Come, Gunner, would it not have been a perfect way? Lieutenant Real threw himself back, and Pérol still like a carven image of grim dreaminess, growled softly. Time yet. The English ship is still on the pass. He waited a little in his uncanny, living statue manner before he added viciously, You don't seem in a hurry to go and take that leap. Upon my word, I am almost sick enough of life to do it, the lieutenant said in a conversational tone. Well, don't forget to run upstairs and take that packet with you before you go, said Peyroll as before. But don't wait for me. I am not sick of life. I am Disparu, and that's good enough. There's no need for me to die. And at last he moved in his seat, swung his head from side to side, as if to make sure that his neck had not been turned to stone, emitted a short laugh, and grumbled. Disparu, hein! well, I am damned, as if the word vanished had been a gross insult to enter against a man's name in a register. It seemed to rankle, as Lieutenant Real observed with some surprise, or else it was something inarticulate that rankled, manifesting itself in that funny way. The lieutenant, too, had a moment of anger which flamed and went out at once in the deadly cold philosophic reflection, We are victims of the destiny which has brought us together. Then again his resentment flamed. Why should he have stumbled against that girl or that woman, he didn't know how he must think of her, and suffer so horribly for it? He who had endeavored almost from a boy to destroy all the softer feelings within himself. His changing moods of distaste, of wonder at himself and at the unexpected turns of life, "'wore the aspect of profound abstraction, "'from which he was recalled by an outburst of payrolls, "'not loud, but fierce enough. "'No!' cried payroll. "'I am too old to break my bones "'for the sake of a lubberly soldier in Paris "'who fancies he has invented something clever.' "'I didn't ask you to,' the lieutenant said, "'with extreme severity, "'in what payroll would call an epaulette wearer's voice.' you old sea-bandit. And it wouldn't be for the sake of a soldier anyhow. You and I are Frenchmen, after all. You have discovered that, have you? Yes, said rial This morning, listening to your talk on the hillside with that English corvette within, one might say, a stone's throw. Yes, groaned Pérol, a French-built ship. He struck his breast a resounding blow. It hurts one there to see her. It seemed to me I could jump down on her deck single-handed. Yes, there you and I understood each other, said the lieutenant. But look here. This affair is a much bigger thing than getting back a captured corvette. In reality, it is much more than merely playing a trick on an admiral. It's part of a deep plan, Payroll. It's another stroke to help us on the way towards a great victory at sea. Us, said Payroll. I am a sea bandit. "'and you are a sea officer. "'What do you mean by us?' "'I mean all Frenchmen,' said the lieutenant. "'Or, let us say simply, France, "'which you two have served.' Perrault, whose stone effigy bearing "'had become humanized almost against his will, "'gave an appreciative nod and said, "'You've got something in your mind. "'Now what is it if you will trust a sea bandit?' "'No, I will trust a gunner of the Republic. "'It occurred to me that for this great affair "'we could make use of this corvette "'that you have been observing so long, "'for to count on the capture of any old tartan by the fleet "'in a way that would not arouse suspicion is no use.' "'A lubberly notion,' assented Payroll, "'with more hardiness than he had ever displayed "'towards Lieutenant Real. "'Yes, but there's that corvette.' Couldn't something be arranged to make them swallow the whole thing somehow, some way? You laugh. Why? I laugh because it would be a great joke, said Payroll, whose hilarity was very short-lived. That fellow on board, he thinks himself very clever. I never set my eyes on him, but I used to feel that I knew him, as if he were my own brother. But now... He stopped short. Lieutenant Real, after observing the sudden change on his countenance, said in an impressive manner, "'I think you have just had an idea.' "'Not the slightest,' said Pérol, turning suddenly into stone, as if by enchantment. The lieutenant did not feel discouraged, and he was not surprised to hear the effigy of Pérol pronounce, "'All the same one could see.' Then, very abruptly, "'You meant to stay here to-night?' Yes. I will only go down to Madrague and leave word with the sailing barge which was to come today from Toulon to go back without me. No, lieutenant. You must return to Toulon today. When you get there, you must turn out some of those damned quill drivers at the port office if it were midnight, and have papers made out for a tartan. Oh, any name you like. Some sort of papers. And then you must come back as soon as you can. Why not go down to Majok now, and see whether the barge isn't already there? If she is, then by starting at once you may get back here some time about midnight. He got up impetuously, and the lieutenant stood up too. Hesitation was imprinted on his whole attitude. Pirol's aspect was not animated, but his Roman face with its severe aspect gave him a great air of authority. "'Won't you tell me something more?' asked the lieutenant. "'No,' said the rover. "'Not till we meet again. "'If you return during the night, don't you try to get into the house. "'Wait outside. Don't rouse anybody. "'I will be about, and if there is anything to say, I will say it to you then.' "'What are you looking about you for?' "'You don't want to go up for your valise. "'Your pistols up in your room, too? "'What do you want with pistols? "'Only to go to Toulon and back with the naval boat's crew?' He actually laid his hand on the lieutenant's shoulder and impelled him gently towards the track leading to Madrag. Rayal turned his head at to the touch, and their eyes met with the strained closeness of a rustler's hug. It was the lieutenant who gave way before the unflinchingly direct stare of the old brother of the coast. He gave way under the cover of a sarcastic smile and a very airy, "'I see you want me out of the way for some reason or other,' which produced not the slightest effect upon Pérol, who stood with his arm pointing towards Madragh. When the lieutenant turned his back on him, Pérol's pointing arm fell down by his side, but he watched the lieutenant out of sight before he turned too and moved in a contrary direction. End of Section 8